sometimes in your career you have these moments where uh, everything changes. So it was uh, one of those uh, life-changing, maybe leadership-changing moments in time. Hello, and welcome to Meet the Leader, a podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today's leader, Svein Tore Holsetter. He's the CEO of Yara, a fertilizer and food solutions company. He'll talk about the urgent need to protect the climate, how it's steering the company's priorities, and how anyone can do their part. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum. And this is Meet the Leader. We, we don't need any technology breakthroughs. Where we do need a breakthrough is on collaboration, on trust and transparency in order to uh, facilitate it. Svein Tore Holsetter is the CEO of Yara, a food solutions company. The company got its start 116 years ago during a massive man-made crisis, a famine in Europe caused by farming that had mined the soil clean of nutrients. Yara's founder developed nitrogen fertilizers, a disruptive technology at the time that put nitrogen back into the soil. Today, the company is reacting to a new crisis, the climate, as it looks to feed the world, but also protect the planet. This need to take action for the climate has changed how Svein runs the company and even how he runs his day, as he looks to build the collaborations needed to tackle multiple goals for business and society all at once. He'll talk about all of this, including the special role that Yara can play in decarbonizing food value chains and even in the energy transition. But first, he'll talk about his first months on the job and how everything changed after the Paris Climate Agreement in 2015. We wanted to be there to put focus on on food and we teamed up with two NGOs out of Norway and also with the Norwegian Ministry of uh, foreign affairs and, and we said, okay, let's put together this group. We go to Paris and we talk about the importance of uh, agriculture and food in terms of climate, only to, to realize that food wasn't really on the agenda there. So there wasn't much interest. So our stand wasn't uh, very much uh, visited. Our uh, lectures were not very much visited. But still, it's one of the, the, the key moments uh, for me on uh, thinking of strategy because being there, feeling the atmosphere, seeing the willingness to find solutions, to see the the role of business in in reaching this agreement, and seeing the demonstrations, the the passion, the dedication, the drive from from youth, uh, it made a huge impact on me. At that moment, most of the um, discussions were around the energy. But I knew that with the food sector being uh, 25% of global greenhouse gas emissions, it would only be a matter of time before this would be highly relevant for us as well. And then it's important to drive this, to shape this, and, and also to, to come up with solutions and be proactive rather than reactive. So, so, so I had one strategy before uh, Paris, and then we said, well, we're going to have to completely rethink this. We have to come up with sustainable solutions. Uh, how do we support the transition of the food system? Uh, so so we, we parked all of that and then we started almost a year of soul searching. Who are we as a, as a company? And, and that starts with the mission and the vision of the company and the values. So, so uh, we actually involved uh, pretty much everyone in the organization to come up with a new mission and we anchored that in the past uh, to responsibly feed the world which we did when we 
established the company 116 years ago, but we added to protect the planet. So that grow food responsibly, but also in a way that takes care of the planet. It's this duality. That is our mission, and that's what we build our strategy on. So it was uh, one of those, uh, for me, uh, life-changing, maybe leadership-changing moments in time. And with that, what helped you navigate? Was there a particular experience or something that you drew on? One thing that I realized very quickly is that uh, there's only so much that I can do alone and uh, that uh, Yara as an organization can do alone. This has to be done in uh, in partnerships uh, and we need to think whole value chains. Uh, and um, it, it was also important to see who who are the leaders in, in terms of sustainability in, in on the business side of this. And, and um, I did some research on that and and the, the answer was uh, quite clear and quite quickly to see that Unilever had come very far. I, I was uh, fortunate enough to to be able to to sit down with Paul Polman and, and uh, listen to his experience and, and how he had driven uh, Unilever to be a pioneer in, in terms of sustainability at that scale. I've worked in let's say, a, a number of uh, partnerships and organizations and also with uh, the World Economic Forum playing an important role, the, the CEO of climate leaders, uh, what is, uh, and the whole work around the food systems and agriculture in, in the World Economic Forum as, as, a, as a convening platform to get insights throughout the whole food system and the whole value chain. That, that's been, been key, but it, it, it's really to, to listen, to talk with people in, in all parts of the value chain, understanding customers, uh, the, the, the farmers, what's the, the reality they're talking with, the regulators, what's their reality, but to create that understanding that's been been really key and, and, and the conclusion is that this can only be done if we all pull together. And how are you different at the end of that process, at the end of all that soul searching and collaborating? How is the man who came out of that process different than the man who came in? In, in terms of time allocation and how I think about my agenda, uh, both in the short term, medium term and, uh, and, and long term, uh, how that has changed up through the years where uh, I probably in the beginning had a more traditional approach uh, of this, uh, that when you, you run a business, uh, you have a profit and loss and you have a balance sheet and you try mm-hmm. to, to to optimize and, and create shareholder uh, returns with that as a, as a starting point. But it's so much more than that. It's, it's very clear that businesses can only prosper in societies that prosper as well. So it's a much broader agenda along the lines of stakeholder capitalism uh, that, that we have to think much broader. And that's a, a huge change, I think, on the agenda for all CEOs, uh, even in the last five years, you know, how much time do we now spend on on climate? How much time, time do we spend on supporting the uh, societies? How much time do we spend on coming up with energy efficient uh, solutions? It's completely different. Uh, and, and that changes the um, agenda uh, and time allocation. And I haven't really done this, but I, I assume that if I look at my calendar now and look at that five or 10 years ago, uh, the amount of time that I use uh, in value chain, supply chain thinking, the, the amount of time that I use in with regulators or with the societies in order to come up with new solutions, it, it's completely changed uh, around. So it's a much more externally oriented uh, agenda now than in, in the past. Is that a good gut check for leaders who are thinking, hey, am I doing enough? Should they just look at their calendars and see how much time they are spending 
collaborating with people outside their organizations. Uh, what do you think about that? Absolutely. And, and, and I, I do that. I ask that question uh, internally as well. I ask people to, okay, check your phone at the end of the day. How many calls went outside our organization? How many emails went outside our organization? How many meetings did you have with people outside our organization? And, and the reason that I'm stressing this is that we have nine years left until 2030. And we know it's impossible to reach the Paris Agreement without collaboration. And then we need to to set some of the standards on, on what is expected. And that is working also externally to, to, to create these partnerships. And that starts with us. And, and, and that needs to be reflected in our uh, calendars when we, we sum that up at the end of the year, uh, end of the month or, or, or uh, whatever that we actually behave in that way. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, since Yara is a, a legacy company, it's 116 years old. Uh, it gives it a long experience being close to the earth, having special relationships and interest in farmers. But every company has its own set of challenges. What were those for Yara in that mission for Protect the Planet? We're making this transition before our uh, business model has uh, reached uh, its best before uh, or its its due date. We, we don't have a broken business. We, we, we're actually doing quite well, but yet the, the future demands will be very different. So it's it's about balancing, you know, running the underlying business and maintaining stability in that, and also positioning for for the future. And that's a future that perhaps could need less fertilizer, uh, so less of our main product, but it also opens up uh, new opportunities in the sustainability space where the value pockets are potentially much bigger, where farmers are being paid the, the, the right price for for their products, where sustainability becomes key, where nutritional content is key, emissions, water usage, and so on. And, and that opens up new opportunities. But these are not established already. So we're, we're creating a marketplace and we're working on that. And how do we balance that with uh, continuing to run, say, the, the legacy or the, the foundation of our business also to continue? And, and to, to maintain that balance is not always uh, easy, and especially not when it's not broken. Uh, you're building on top of, uh, but there are some advantages of that as well because then we have uh, we have the, the cash flow in order to uh, support that. So it's uh, in many ways it's a good problem uh, to to have, but it doesn't mean that it's not a an issue uh, and something that needs to be addressed uh, every day, and that we, we need to appreciate the, the legacy that we we have. That gives us a foundation. It gives us a a brand, it's a network, it's an organization uh, that has reached uh, a level and that we can take that a, a step further. So I think things like that are very interesting because I do think people forget the role that established companies can have because they have the infrastructure and the knowledge and the desire all in place. You know, we tend to think about disruptive technologies coming out of a garage in uh, Silicon Valley or Berlin, but but, it, but it, it, we need to think like that in, in big uh, companies uh, as well and, and companies more than 100 years old that we're also innovators. I mean, 150 and 16 years ago, when we were established, definitely disruptive technology. It changed the farming uh, and, and that's a legacy that we should cherish and, and build on. And then we have this huge advantage that when we come up with innovation, we immediately have scale. So, so there are many advantages as well that we need to be aware of. Yara has a number of capabilities and it's currently building one of the world's largest green ammonia plants. Can we talk a little bit about this and uh, the role that it can play for the uh, energy transition? 
in, in order to, to, to reach the Paris Agreement, there's a need to also now uh, really address the hard to abate sectors. A lot of the low-hanging fruit has been uh, been done. Hard-to-abate sectors, uh, much more costly, uh, huge upfront investments, even higher variable costs. So how do we compete with a price level that is, say, uh, if I say green ammonia, variable cost probably two to four times higher than the fossil fuel alternative? But if you think differently, if you think full value chains, how, how much impact uh, is it going to have on the, the end product? Sometimes I use the example of uh, a loaf of bread by converting our biggest plant in Norway to, to green hydrogen, green ammonia. That could reduce, uh, together with regenerative practices, that could reduce the, the carbon footprint of a loaf of bread by 30% at a cost of one penny. One penny is not much, right? But that's the, the, the full value chain approach to it. But the product itself will be much more expensive. Uh, and, and, and that's why we need to differentiate. So it's a different product. It's a, it's a zero emission. It's a green fertilizer. So that that's a different product than the traditional one. And that's something that we need to, to work and create the marketplace for that. And indeed, it's, it's the only way in order to, to also reduce the hard to abate sector. Steel is going through some of the same uh, things right uh, now. Uh, I, I've heard uh, also Rich Lesser from from Boston Consulting Group talk about you know what does it take to to produce a zero emission uh, car to produce uh, it was like five hundred dollars or something and a lot of that is in steel uh, and and uh, then then you have to have a different product it's the same thing for for agriculture as well and what comes first the market or the product and and we think. We have to take a role in creating the product and through collaboration with other companies, with the governments and so on, that we get started so that we can produce green hydrogen, green ammonia, and then green fertilizer. What you get in addition, and that's uh, quite interesting, is that ammonia can also be used as uh, a fuel for long uh, distance shipping. And you can use batteries for short distances, hydrogen for short distances, but if you want to do long haul shipping, with uh, fossil-free fuel, ammonia is uh, a fantastic solution uh, to that, and we're also facilitating that. So, yeah, it's interesting how this opens up opportunities where we're looking into very different industries that we would traditionally be um, be, be, be labeled as, uh, you know, agriculture, chemical, but now also energy as an energy solutions provider. Uh, so, so. Very excited about the the, the, the project, uh, but also one that can only be done and achieved in uh, collaboration and, and partnerships across. So I talked to Rich Lesser for Meet the Leader, and uh, he was very impressed by some of, in fact, the examples that you talked about just now. And uh, I want to ask you, as someone who is talking to leaders who have access to leading edge information, all kinds of special data and analysis, and some of the smartest people in the world, uh, what is it like to be surprising them? What is that like? You know, the cost to get this done, to move to, to much lower emissions, is probably much lower than, than people expect. I would say in, in agriculture, the technology, we, we don't need any technology breakthroughs. We don't need any miracles or anything. All the pieces are there. Where we do need a breakthrough is on collaboration, on trust and transparency in order to uh, facilitate it, and that's where we need the breakthrough. But that's possibly the most difficult thing to get done at scale. We should take that as a say a positive surprise that this is doable, and uh, on top of it, it creates new business opportunities. So, so, so there's a huge 
value creation potential in this if it gets right, but uh, also a lot of urgency. And what do you think it'll take to get to that, to that collaboration breakthrough? A lot of it has to do with us as uh, as leaders that we need to set examples of openness uh, that we are willing to share data to make it uh, available that we should trust enough in our businesses and capabilities that they are able to to prosper in a world where transparency is uh, abundant uh, that that also means giving away some uh, control uh, and and that's not necessarily what we're trained for. Traditionally, where we're uh, you know tasked with optimizing our company and uh, not so much on optimizing the whole uh, value chain, and that's where we need to uh, to have a mindset uh, shift uh, towards full value chain and create that uh, atmosphere of uh, openness, and that we're in this uh, together, and together we can create these uh, solutions. So that's one part of it, and then. We also need regulators' support so that when uh, solutions are, are put in place, that the marketplace is there for them, that we don't have short-term changes. So, so that could fundamentally change all the investments in this because they are, by definition, long-term. I, I just wrote a piece together with my friend Andrea Hoffman on what we think it will take in order to rebuild uh, trust. Uh, so, so trust is key. You know, Leadership is key. Data is key. Uh, is is key, but without trust, forget about reaching the, the Paris Agreement. It's all back to trust. So we've been talking about how do we need to think a little bit differently, work a little bit differently, and many people are very used to thinking, how can I get an advantage over the next guy? But is the question we should be asking ourselves, how can I build trust with the next guy? What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that what you're saying makes a lot of sense. It it starts with yourself, right? That is something that we are able to to do, and we can make a conscious choice to to do that. And a lot of what has been built has been built with a basis of trust, but with the with the lack of trust, I mean, imagine all the mechanisms that need to be in place in order to verify and audit and check and, and all, all that. It's a huge cost if you can move away from that. But, but but it starts with this conscious decision that each and everyone need to make when we wake up in the morning that we, we choose to trust and we choose to believe in humanity and, and the drive to to find solutions and that we're in this together and, 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 and we can only achieve it if we do it together. And that starts with our, our ourself through demonstrating that we will be able to, to, to create a trust at a systems level as well. So with some of the things that Yara is building, uh, why don't you tell me about the collaborations and the partnerships that is helping Yara speed that change? Uh, tell me a little bit about that. What we did was to, to, to reach out and uh, and, and we were able to get two other industrial players on board. So we have Stopkraft, uh, Europe's biggest renewable energy company. Uh, they are on board. And then we have one of the biggest engineering companies in Norway. So so that's a one-third, one-third, one-third partnership. And uh, it's the combination of these uh, capabilities. Uh, it's going to fast-track this product significantly based on a common view of how we believe the world is moving and trust. That's moving at a speed that is much faster than what we would have been able to do if we were doing that alone in isolation. And then we have to think bigger than, than that as well in order to create marketplaces. We just signed an 
agreement with uh, Jera, the uh, Japanese power producer, to, to work on um, using uh, green ammonia uh, uh, or an ammonia into the power system in Japan. We signed an MOU together with the Trafigura to, 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 in the, on, on the shipping side. So it's about creating these uh, partnerships to, to accelerate. And, and we're doing uh, a, a similar project on, um, on, on green ammonia in the Netherlands that we're developing together with Ørsted uh, from Denmark. We're, we're looking at a project in Australia with Engie from, from France. So it's, it's about partnerships uh, uh, all the way, but also partnership with governments in order to come up with uh, solutions. It's also about appreciating the, the different sets of competences that we bring into the in, into the project. So, so if if you are to do this at scale and with speed, it's the only way. We've all been navigating this little thing called the pandemic. Um, how has that changed how you lead at Yara? Back in uh, early 2020, there was so much confusion. Uh, there was so much uncertainty. We, we, um, it also emphasized the importance that we play as a, as a company, of, um, being an input provider to, to farmers. We knew that, uh, for instance, for wheat production, if we didn't get our product out to the farmer, uh, the, the yields would drop by 50% the first, in the first crop. So, 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 so if we didn't deliver on our promise uh, as, as a company, uh, we would quickly move from a health pandemic to a, to a hunger pandemic. So that was very clear. And how did we? How how do you run a company in that uh, sort of uh, circumstance? How, how are we going to be able to 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 run huge complex organizations? The instinct would be to have huge amounts of uh, reporting, but we decided otherwise. In in the other, we said we have a purpose driven company. We have a, a mission that uh, I think all of our employees are able to rephrase. And uh, we trust you. Uh, we, we trust the organization that you know what is best for you. We cannot remote control the response uh, to this. So, so what we did is we set three rules. Um, one, uh, the health and safety of our employees and contractors. Number two, support the, the local governments in limiting the spread of the, of the virus. Three, get the product out to the farmer. Other than that, you run the business and um, you fix that locally. We, we have trust in you. And then we, we shut down the, the head office. We turned off the lights and, uh, and and then left it up to the businesses to, to run. And of course, there were a few uncomfortable nights without getting all the reports in. But then, then the numbers did start to, to come in. And we see we set, uh, we're setting production records. Uh, we're moving products all over the world. We see extraordinary efforts by our employees in order to to deliver. It's just been overwhelming for me, the, the response of the organization on operating in that difficult uh, environment. And then I spend my time on talking with other industry leaders. And, and the key trusted source of information for, for me was actually through the World Economic Forum, because Professor Schwab, he, he started with a weekly COVID-19 calls, which gave me access to some of the leading authorities on what was happening with the, with the virus. It, it uh, gave examples of organizational responses uh, to the pandemic that uh, really helped me to guide our company through this. And as a result of what we learned and how the organization behaved during the first uh, and decisive months of the pandemic, we reorganized. We reorganized from a functional company to a regional company 
because we saw the power in that way of working. At the end of the day, I think the pandemic has demonstrated the power of the purpose-driven companies, how they're able to deal with and even prosper in, in very challenging environments. Is there a habit that you swear by, something that has helped you navigate all these changes? I do keep uh, some parts of the day quite clear for uh, for running. That's my say the, my my mental reset in order to to process, but also to deconnect a bit. Pretty much every day, and uh, throughout this uh, last uh, year and a half, I, I probably done even more of that uh, because there's been a need to do even more of that. But I think of that as an energy bank as as well. Uh, it's not something that takes time away. It's something that gives time. It's also the same way with my family. When I'm home with my family, I'm with my family. And that's also, you know, mentally for me. I'm not the CEO of a big corporation at home. I'm a husband and father, and that's it. And that's also something that, from a mental point of view, is is key for me. uh, And and, and that enables me to preserve energy so I can keep doing this for for decades to, to come. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about the IPCC report. For those listening not familiar, the IPCC is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And this month, a group of climate scientists confirmed many of the worst fears that had been swirling about the climate, uh, that the Earth is going to warm more quickly than we previously thought. There will be more catastrophic fires, floods, and storms, and all of the knock-on effects that come with that sort of chaos if we don't take action. And it's had plenty of people sitting up a little bit straighter. What is your take on it? Well, it's a it's a sad uh, confirmation of uh, the state that we're in uh, right now. And uh, as the UN uh, Secretary General also said, this is uh, we should consider this as uh, code red for humanity. Uh, at the same time, we need to uh, reflect a bit uh, on how new is this uh, really. And uh, uh, I, I read a book a couple of years ago that made a huge impact on me. It's Losing Earth by Nathaniel Rich, uh, which described uh, the opportunity that humanity had to deal with this problem decades ago with the, with the so-called Charney report that was back in 1979, so more than 40 years ago, the models uh, that predicted the the, the impact on climate from uh, carbon dioxide was very accurately uh, described by scientists. So what we're seeing today was already predicted in 1979, yet we have done very little to avoid that. Perhaps uh, we could say that there are some excuses because it wasn't felt or proven at that time. Well, now it is proven and it is felt all over the world, uh, as was also said in the report, that all regions are impacted. And for us being in agriculture, we see this every day with our uh, our, uh, farmer customers that they are impacted uh, by this. What what we need to be extremely aware of now is that... uh, is the urgency. Nine years left, which means that the opportunity that we had 40 years ago to do a little bit of fine-tuning, a little bit of reduction here and there, and that would uh, avoid it, that's no longer a viable option. There are massive changes that need to happen now. We need to completely redefine value chains. We need to move to to zero emission fuels at a much larger scale. So the individual approach, we're way past that. Now it's all about uh, collaboration, partnerships, and urgency to to get this done. So I'm I'm pleased to see that this report got a lot of attention. Let's uh, this time listen to it. And if there's anything we should have learned in this last 
18 months is that uh, it's time to listen to the scientists now. It is proven. They're sounding the alarms. So let's uh, behave accordingly. Some leaders have been working on these issues for some time, and some people have really just gotten started. In your mind, what's the question that every leader could ask themselves, regardless of what phase they're in? Uh, a key here is demand the transparency, demand uh, to understand uh, how are the products that I consume produced? Uh, how do we treat the, the farmers that we, we deal a lot with? Uh, do, do we reward them uh, sufficiently for sustainable Production, or do we only pay them for uh, the, the product? Do, do we, when we go to the store, if, if you're in the supermarket today, you know we, we can uh, look at the shelf and you see the nutritional content, you know the the vitamins, you know the the calories and and, and content, but really no clue about the environmental footprint of that. And, and as consumers, we should demand that because that will drive behavior throughout the whole value chain. And that's an opportunity that all of us have. And then uh, it's important for the whole food um, industry as well to think full value chain, that, that we think about the impact all the way from the input side uh, into farming where we are all the way to the, to the retail and to the, to the consumer and see what is it that we can do across the whole value chain to optimize it and not think uh, silos and optimizing uh, the silos because today that's uh, no longer enough. You need to think uh, holistically around that. And that's something that we uh, is very say, close to heart, but also close to the strategy in, in Yarana. How do we work in partnerships and how do we think whole value chains in order to, to change this? Because what is a huge cost and uh, investment and say, an increase in, in, in our production, if you see that in isolation, uh, it might not be viable. But if you, if you take that all the way to... Uh, consumer then and think holistically then the cost is minimum we're talking across a number of industries uh, to move to zero emissions an, an increase of say one to four percent of the end product price so it's it is doable but only if we think whole value chains with everything that's happening for the climate i think it can be easy to feel daunted and think well how can i make a dent in this uh, what's your message to those people I, I can understand that the natural response for, for many will be that, well, this is too much, it's too big, uh, my impact will be so little that uh, it, it's better to sit back and hope that someone else will solve it on my behalf. That's an incredibly dangerous uh, thing to to do. And, and uh, I, I want to be very clear that we all have a role to, to play. Every decision that we make uh, every day, every purchasing decision that we make can have an impact. And, and, and we shouldn't underestimate the the impact that we have as uh, individuals and uh, as uh, someone that elects politicians or that uh, directs spending towards companies that are responsible. So we do have this opportunity. And and I hope that with uh, the code red for humanity that was conveyed in, in that report, that is uh, fully understood and that we um, use this now as a catalyst to drive change at the at a very rapid scale. And, and we have seen also in the pandemic that when faced with a huge problem, humanity does get together and, and, and does come up with the solutions. I mean, who would have thought that it would be possible to have vaccines ready at the speed which uh, really happened when presented with the, with the pandemic? But what we have to uh, uh, keep in mind when it comes to climate 
is that is tipping points where we get to a point where it's not reversible. And and my biggest fear is that it's not going to be felt enough by enough people physically before we pass the tipping point. Mm-hmm. So let's let's view this report as that uh, tipping point that now we only have nine years left. It will require massive changes in behavior, and each and every one of us has an uh, important role to play. We cannot delegate this to someone else to solve for us. We have to do it ourselves. That was Vane Torrey Holsetter. Before we go, don't forget Meet the Leader's sister podcast, Radio Davos, helping you understand the biggest problems of our time. Find the latest episode of that and Meet the Leader on wef.ch slash podcasts. Here's a preview. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, it turns out it is. It seems fairly clear that sharks don't like the taste of people and will typically leave the scene. On this week's Radio Davos, as it's summer in the Northern Hemisphere, we're bringing good news to anyone heading to the beach. Most sharks, even the sharks that cause fatalities, are not actually eating people. Busting the myths built by Jaws and other shark exploitation movies, this shark expert explains why sharks, which pose little threat to humans, are vital to the health of the ocean and the climate. We have to stop sharks going extinct, and by doing so, you know, we can actually preserve the health of our oceans, which are in a terrible mess at the moment. And Dutch musician Don Diablo drops a summertime hit which will help regreen the world. People sometimes lose the value of what music can do, and by singling out one song and doing this campaign, Stream to Regreen, it brings back the impact that you can have with music, not just emotionally, but also on a philanthropic level. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Looking at the world's biggest problems and how we might solve them, This is Radio Davos. That's it for me. Thanks so much to Gareth Nolan and Robin Pomeroy for all of their help with the creation of Meet the Leader. And also to this week's guest, Svein Torrey Holsetter. And thank to you for listening. Please take a moment to rate and review our podcasts. And for more extensive Q&As from our guests, go online to wef.ch slash podcasts and follow us online on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, and on Twitter using the handle at WEF. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum. Have a great day.